0: Hello and welcome to the Can't Believe Podcast. My name's Dan Rowan. and I'm joined by two very special guests this afternoon. Uh, it's Frankie McGuire and Rob Warner joining me as we're going to do part two of Aston Villa Confessions. Now we filmed the first one of these in person, me, James Rushton and John Townley, reacted to a load of anonymous Aston Villa co- Confessions about all sorts of things. If you've not seen part one, you can click here, I think, to go and find it. Uh, it'll also be on our channel on our Spotify page, etc. You can go and find that, listen to part one. Part two is more of the same. We had loads of confessions the first time around, so we saved some to do a part two if people enjoyed it. And I think people did. First up is, I really liked Stephen Ireland, but for reasons I can't fully comprehend. I can't think of any real positive apart from he was actually pretty good on my FIFA career.
1: Yeah, I I remember being quite excited when he signed and thinking we might be getting a fairly, not a good deal because it wasn't, but you know it might soften the blow a little bit. i think even if he was good on fifa it just wouldn't have made any difference because on a a fifa camera you'd just be like a regen or something anyway even if he'd got his real appearance he was so indicative of everything about that era it makes me feel sad
2: we lost 6-0 i think it was to newcastle in his first game and i remember the look on his face after about the sixth goal went in just looking at the sky as if what have i let myself in for here and that was a feeling shared by most of the villa fans for the next few years after that and to be honest because you know my whole family's irish as well so i also follow ireland as well as england and um i remember quite a few random stories with him with ireland as well something to do with uh grandparents who might not have passed away who mm. apparently did to avoid international duty so um he, he was a very naturally gifted player um and i was quite excited at the thought of him coming to villa at the time but it just didn't work out, did it? um It did well at City, but village just didn't work out.
0: Just as a, an aside for that, have either you had any like, standout affiliations with a particular player or a particular club because of a, a FIFA career mode or a football manager save or anything like that? Did anything jump out was like a, a soft spot for the player? Do you know
1: what? Leon Bailey, before he signed oh, really? for Villa. Yeah, I was, because I, I play a, a, a reasonable amount of FIFA. Uh, and Bailey at Leverkusen was always red hot just because he was so quick. Um, and so I started to then like him in, in real life as well. And then we signed him and I was dead excited. And obviously, for the first two and a half years, he was nowhere near as good as he was on FIFA. And now he's better than he is on FIFA. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd, I was at uni and uh, with Pro Evo was there and uh, from 2005 yeah. to 2008. I played um, as FC Copenhagen quite a lot just to sort of rub it into my housemates that I might be a little bit better than they were at it. Um, So they'd be like Barcelona or Bayern Munich, whatever. And then uh, they had a player called uh, Hutchinson, I think it was Atiba Hutchinson, maybe a Canadian player. And uh, I used to call him the Hutch, and i just always run down the wing with him, beat all the players, score with him, and uh, he became this sort of, like, house legend that I still refer to this day. <laughs> and then when I saw he was still playing for Canada at the age of 40 in the World Cup, I was absolutely in raptures. It was just, uh, yeah. So he's sort of like a sort of a cult icon
1: for me, uh, the Hutch. Awesome. Good choice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, nice. And welcome to Aston Villa Confessions. These are the tangents we will go on for, for the rest of this episode. Oh, Who knew that we were going to be talking about these kind of things? All right second one I've got here is honestly depressing, to be honest, but we'll we'll, we'll try and spin it as best we can. I hope I don't have to worry about this for years to come, but I fear what post Unai Emery Aston Villa will look like. I hope it's not like post Martin O'Neill was, but on the plus side, we have way better owners than we did back then or ever. Uh,
2: You know, every club that loses a big talismanic manager, um, there is a bit of a drop-off after it usually. Mm. Um, Not always, but most of the time. Um, and we have put a lot of power into his hands. We've built a lot around him of an infrastructure with Monchi, Vidagani. Um, there's a big Spanish contingent in the coaching staff as well. So, that you know, for Emery to go as the the sort of head of the table, um, that would uh, that would probably take quite a bit of getting used to, I think. But I'm hoping the club are future proofing themselves in the sense that you know, we've got we do have better owners than we did, you know, after during the O'Neill era. And, um, you know, we're we're aiming to sign quite young players, as we're seeing this transfer window, the academy's there. So I just sort of think that hopefully, where Emery to ever go, you know, in 50 years, hopefully, um, after a long spell of success, and he's lived to the age of 120 or whatever, um, you know, that I uh, think that hopefully we're in a, we've sort of future-proofed ourselves, that's the way to to Mm. put it, and that we've prepared for that eventuality to, to happen one day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'm, I'm with you, really. I mean, on the one hand, I agree with the confessor that, yeah, it does. Feel is a confessor
0: bit... the right word, by the way? I also yeah, said that yeah well,
1: Edward the confessor will have it. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it was anybody called Edward that sent it in, obviously. But yeah, I, I sometimes feel like that, but more, I guess, is it a false door? Are the wheels going to fall off more than? <laughs> And even though his track record speaks for itself the players are clearly very talented just Mm. the fact that they can do what they've been doing this season and last season so you know pointless i think i've i've said before i think on the podcast that unai is actually a couple of months younger than dean smith and i always thought of dean smith as being a young manager so potentially assuming everyone's happy with the way things are going i don't know where he goes from Villa mm. Park, yeah, you know, other than you know, 20 30 years' time when he's in his early 80s, he you know, he unveils his own statue, and <laughs> that's it, hands over the keys to actually Young or whoever to step in <laughs> and uh, continue the legacy.
0: Onto a manager that I was before my time, so I'm going to come to you both for this one and not offer any, any opinion whatsoever. Uh, John Gregory is overrated as an Aston Villa manager. With the resources and players he
1: had, he did not do well enough. Agreed, actually. Yeah, I was thinking before, if I got asked for a confession, what would my confession be? Um, and I don't get me wrong, as a, as a character and as a Villa man, I absolutely love him. Hmm. Um, but yeah, my confession would have been that even when we were doing really well. So this is a double-edged confession, this. Um even when we were doing really well, I would have replaced him with Glenn Hoddle. Okay. Um at the time, which would have also have been a poor choice, I think, in hindsight. Um, but yeah, it felt like for the, for the money that we'd spent, the players that we'd got. The, the drop-off that we had was inexcusable yeah
2: completely because it's easy to forget you know i, I remember at the time the rhetoric was always that doug ellis didn't spend money but actually during gregory's era we did actually spend quite a lot you know like steve stone five and a half million player like that yeah easy to steve forget Watson Watson, um, alan thompson Deion dublin i think he made a massive mistake leaving villa because his managerial career never recovered and i think he potentially could have ended up a bit of a moise at everton at villa like he could have been there another few years and Always finished top half, pushing seventh, eighth, sixth, something like that. But mm. um, yeah, just just wasn't. He, he made a big mistake leaving Villa. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think he probably did underachieve.
0: Frankie, you actually mentioned two players there in your answer for about the previous confession that are both in the next confession. Okay. Deon Dublin deserves the love and respect that the fans show to Juan Pablo Angel. Actually, he probably deserves it more.
2: I, I I thought he was brilliant for us for a couple of seasons, particularly when we first signed him. He, he came in and uh, he was fantastic. And then he got that terrible neck injury. I think it was at Sheffield Wednesday, I want to say, he got it. And he wasn't really quite the same after that. It's an interesting one with Angel. And I've talked about this before with some friends where it's quite easy to forget, given the love he gets, that actually he had a couple of seasons where he was just non-existent. Um, mm-hmm. It was one year under Graham Taylor, maybe, in his second season where he, I don't think he barely played. Um, And I'm not sure that was on Taylor. I don't don't know who, what what that was all about. But, um, you know, he was clearly a very highly talented player, Angel, And he was a very unusual player for Villa at the time because he was coming in from Argentina, you know, South American, from Colombia, from River Plate. It was was just a really unusual Aston Villa signing at the time. So he really sticks out as a bit of a trailblazer in that sense. And um, Mm. we didn't have too many players like that in the Premier League as a whole. So I think that's why he sticks out and not only on top of that he was also he was actually a really talented striker he just sticks out in that way doesn't he? he's just a bit he's got like a bit of a cult presence he's sort of a uh, from a u- unique kind of footballing background that he didn't really get in the Premier League at that time or Aston Villa in particular ever until sort of recent years um, whereas Dion Dublin I think um, I, I, I really loved Dublin um, I, I thought he was a really good striker and I I tend to agree I think he does deserve the sort of level of love that we do give to Angel as well. Um, I I think he was a, a great son for Villa uh, Dublin. And um, yeah, I still, still like him as a character. I think he's a good representative, you know, off the pitch as well, if he ever wanted to do that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that assessment.
1: I feel like we might have to change the name of this podcast from Confessions to just straight up truths. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I also agree. I think, again, Angel was one that I, I loved him. And I wanted to love him because it was the the closest we'd come to what at the time was a big money signing yeah. that would make a difference. It seemed to take forever for his work permit to to come through. He came in as a bit of an unknown quantity and a big money one at that. Uh, mm. And he, he had some really good spells and scored some really good goals. And then at other times he had quite long spells of kind of flattering to deceive. Yeah. I think he's potentially the, The Villa player equivalent of the round badge. People look back with those (laughs) glasses and if it was presented to us in the cold light of day today as being a brand new thing, everyone would turn their nose up at it.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
0: Rob, you said this video could be called A Similar Truths rather than Confessions, but I'd be absolutely amazed if either of you two and most people out there in the comments agreed with the following one. The Holt End is the worst stand at Villa Park. Come on, Rob! Don't no. No, as
1: long as the north stands there, surely. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like I'm convinced the north stands like 95% asbestos. Legal disclaimer: I've got no proof of that.
0: (laughs) The whole end was one of the best stands, not only at Villa Park, but in my opinion, one of the best individual stands across the Premier League. To say it's the worst stand at Villa Park is baffling to me.
2: Can't can't agree with that it's where all the atmosphere comes from in it so that it's the heart and soul yeah. of villa park and uh as you say as, the, as long as the north stand stands um feel, i feel like it will be you know if a nuclear fallout happens it'll be cockroaches and the north stand survive it basically <laughs> it's never going away it? um so uh, yeah i'm um no I, I think i think the north Stand probably takes that one oh, though i do have affection for it don't get me wrong i still sit in there but um, it's it's the one stand you think this could do with a big improvement, couldn't it?
0: Next one, then. Um, people only think Larson and Melberg were better than Southgate and Ekiog because of how the latter two left the club. Looking at it with an objective football brain, that is clearly nonsense. And I absolutely loved Larson and Melberg. I also loved Larson and Melberg. And when I'm doing like my... Aston Villa best 11s that I've seen, they're always in there. It's like a Premier League yeah. era. They're always the centre-backs I pick. I sometimes put Melberg at right-back. So, Rob, i come to you first. Is that true? Is this a good confession or not? Bit of a mixed bag, this one, I think.
1: Melberg was a really good defender for us. Really good. Mm. And he, he does stand up against defenders that we've had in the past. I think Larson was a cut above. And I know it's, it's not a nice thing to say, and it's a very Villa thing to say, but similar to paul McGrath if he'd not had those knee injuries i don't think he would have been a villa player certainly not at that time mm. you know there's a reason he was a central defender at ac milan in that period mm. and that's yeah. that's the level he was was operating at larson we managed to keep him fit and he was straight out the top drawer really mm. really good footballer um southgate and Hugo, i think out of two of them southgate was good and he was he was almost a bit of a pioneer in terms of making that transition from midfield into defence and, and being a bit of a ball-playing defender. I felt like his best time at the club, though, was when he was part of three central defenders with Hugo and Paul McGrath. Anybody playing in defence next to Paul McGrath got instantly at least 20% less work to um <laughs> Whereas Hugo, I think, was... If, yeah, if I was going to put them in order, it'd probably be Larson, Hugo, Melberg, Southgate.
0: So a mixed bag is the correct answer. You've got <laughs> yeah. them in no the tears of each other rather than too good, too bad.
2: I agree. I think Larson was one of the best player, best defenders I've ever seen in my life. I think he was an absolutely amazing player. And you're right. There's a reason he was at AC Milan at that time when you know Celia had yeah, the best defenses going really. Um, and he just he just struck me as a player that kind of had everything really that you would want as a manager like he had an amazing attitude but also just his reading of the game his, his mm-hmm. physicality use of the ball everything and it was, it was that one special season was there i think under o'leary and maybe o'neill it was one season where he got fit and was able to play pretty much most games and then uh the knee injury just got him in the end but he was a he was a fantastic player for villa he really was and uh but yeah then i think it's kind of close between the other three and i think you're right about southgate i kind of forgot you know he was a midfielder at crystal palace and then came to villa and stepped back into defense and yeah he was kind of more of a like a probably today he probably do really really well as a central defender he'd probably be like a pep guardiola be falling over trying to get him yeah. into city or something um because he yeah. was quite a ball-playing defender and um Ekjog as well i remember we used to sing Hugo for england all the time a Villa Park because again it was like it is today when a Villa player doesn't get picked by England. We take it as a personal attack really, don't we? It's it's just frustrating. And uh Hugo was um he was good enough for England. He was a he was again a top defender. But um I think I'd I think I'd just have to go with Larson Melbourne solely because Larson was just that he was pushing towards McGraw level I think he was that he was that good.
0: Next one is uh there's a couple here that are a little bit like a little bit longer, a little bit of story time for how I became Villa fans, that kind of thing. I'd like to confess how I became an Aston Villa fan. About 15 years ago, my adult football league captain slash team sponsor here in Chicago said we all needed white shorts to go with our claret and blue kits he had splashed his music venue name across. He's a West Ham expat, so he practiced, he trained in hammer shorts all the time. So I went looking online for something similar. I found Villa Shorts instead, read all about the great history of the club and fell in love. Bought the shorts, delightfully miffed the skipper by telling him I was a long-time Villa supporter. I joined the local Villa Lions Club weekly in polishing off a full English at the Globe pub. And the rest is history quite like how there's always like a little underlying story to these
1: things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all up for people supporting Villa just to be spiteful to fans of
2: Villa, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring it Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've been yeah. spiting my dad my whole life because he's a Blues fan, so I've been... Uh, <laughs> his his wow. biggest nightmare going is that I'm a, he's such a huge Astor Villa fan, yeah. Well, that's oh,
0: interesting you mention Blues because they come up in the next confession, again, a similar story about um, supporting the club from a young age. Back in 2002, I was 13 years old. 2002 what was i i was seven in 2002 what were you I was two
1: 23
0: um 16 16 okay all right you'll be all closer here frankie this could have been you i went to the millennium stadium to watch Birmingham city in the playoff final with my blue Nose dad and uncle frankie is this you
2: it this actually you? i i genuinely <laughs> did go with my blue Nose dad and my uncle that, <laughs> this isn't me <laughs> wow okay wow.
0: interesting there they even are. painted my nose blue and embarrassingly no, no. there was a photo that gets circulated on my birthdays my dad got a job working for the villa in 2004 i used to go to all the villa games for years and i've been a villa fan ever since i now live and breathe aston villa and i'm completely obsessed so again i always i feel like there's a bit of an undertone of spite in that one as well about got into villa now or go <laughs> because the rest of the family aren't but that picture yeah. of her being painted in blue do you have you heard anything like that
2: well when i was really really young like my earliest memories in life young i remember me and my sister standing in a room and my dad walked in and said do you know what team god supports and we are like who and he said birmingham city so genuinely in my early early years i believed that god supported birmingham city like <laughs> as in that was his chosen team and then uh, <laughs> it wasn't until i was yeah. about five or six and my mom's family my mom and uh all the villa connections there and uh all my mates at school were villa fans and my dad was like a lonely island of blues that no one else supported them that we knew so uh, i i turned to the i was sort of like um reverse darth vader turning from the dark side to the light side um but yeah so for the first couple of years of my life i, I genuinely was of the belief that uh you know i'd go to mass every week thinking that god supported Blues. so
1: yeah wow that's remarkable yeah. did you never yeah. think to ask the priest like why god was so pernicious in making <laughs> like that? Yeah, it's punishment
2: isn't it you know you gotta suffer yeah. and all that you know
0: next up is a swedish villa fan here for 40 years uh, but it could have been very different here is my story when i started playing football at age seven my club organized an internal kick around tournament for all the kids English football was big in Sweden, so we all got names after clubs in the highest division. I was put into one team, and when my parents were travelling to London, all I wanted was for them to bring home a jersey from that team. Luckily, my parents weren't that educated, since the team I was asked to play for was West Ham. They instead came home with a Villa jersey. It was a simple choice. After that, which team I had to support, and I'm grateful
1: for their mistake to this very day. wow Why, yeah. so
0: interesting of how people get in, involved with the club again at West oh, Ham? I've read
1: that confession before, either on Twitter or on Villa Talk. We would have not longer. We would have been the reigning European champions when that shirt was purchased that's true yeah, so. yeah
0: easy to get into the club isn't it when they were at the yeah, top as well. so
1: I, I think the parents knew what they were up to because the other thing is you I would know. have quite clearly had aston villa fc written on it
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just thought it was time for a bit of an intervention let's go back to some more on the pitch matters then um this next one says if Bayern munich or an equivalent big size club came in for emmy martinez this summer offering a top shelf price i'd take it
2: i think there's going to be a big sale this summer But that's not the end of the world. I think we can use that money to go and expand the squad further Um, just because of FFP considerations, which all Premier League clubs Mm. seem to be focusing on now. Uh, But Emi Martinez, I would be very, very reluctant to see him go just because I think he is genuinely irreplaceable. Um, Mm. I, I personally do have him as the best keeper in the world for me or... Um, is if if you were to go, go who's the best distributor of the ball in world football as a goalkeeper? Edison probably takes that one, but when it comes to shot stopping, I think Emmy Martinez. I don't think there's anyone who is better than him, and I think that with the high line we play, there's a lot of games this season where I can think of teams getting through one on one against him. Calvert Lewin at the weekend, mm. Chilwell, I think Sterling for Chelsea, you know, a couple of months ago, and he he's just his mere presence and aura. Saves yep. those shots, and he he is he he is adding so many points to us as as a team every season with when he's with us because he's saving so many goals that other keepers just wouldn't. So um, I'd be very very reluctant to see me Martinez go if I'm honest.
0: We talk about like a, a big sale and whatnot, and whether that's this summer or not. Yeah, you do feel like that's going to have to happen at some point because of the the financial restrictions that are in place now in, in the Premier League. If you had to kind of like pick top three or bottom three, I suppose it is of who you would least like to lose. Martinez would be top for me of the player that I think is one we can't replace. Cause it's such an important position that you have to get the next one right. Mm. So he'd be like top of my list or bottom of my list
1: for who I'd want to to lose. Mm. If you had to pick two or three of players that you think we can't do without, who stands out? I mean, Emmy definitely. It's interesting though when you first read the the, the thing out. I, I was thinking, yeah, I, I perhaps could see him going. And then the more Frankie was talking, I was like, what it what it brought to mind was is almost to us what Schmeichel was to that United team. Of, mm-hmm. you know, presence is the right word because Calvert Lewin bearing down on Robin Olsen, just around the stadium and everything. You know, the the collective mind frame of everybody in goodison park is he's got to be emmy martinez now Mm -hmm. and you know it's a big deal he's just got that aura about him i think dougie would be another one that i'd be Mm loath to lose probably just because of how far he's come on and i'm intrigued to see how far he will get on as the players around him get better and he can focus more on what he's good at and less at having to do the bits around the edges, I'd I'd probably have those as my top two.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, and it kind of leads me into the next confession pretty, pretty swiftly. Jack Grealish being sold was the best thing to happen to Aston Villa at that time. At the time, it felt, gutting, how we are going to replace him, who comes in, he's, he's pivotal to us, he's the captain, the talisman, and as much as it was expected to most people that that move was coming at some point, um, we've obviously got a world record fee at the time, I think it was anyway, or for a British player, whatever it was, 100 million. Um, it did feel like, not the end of the world, but of course we could be in trouble here because we rely on him so heavily. Just off the back of the last one about who who do we least want to lose, if we were to lose Douglas Luiz this summer, for example, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, so 100 million.
1: I wouldn't feel the same way about losing somebody now that I did two or three seasons mm. ago. Yeah. yeah. I think So I think that was probably the natural evolution of the club though. Anyway, um, mm. I think we would still be a far better team than we were then, even if Grealish had stayed. Cause to your yeah. point, I yeah. don't think it's just the Grealish funds that have, that made the difference because the players that came in, you don't yeah. just well, the fact that we brought three to replace one was always weird because I, I didn't think that the Premier League were going to start letting us have thirteen players on the field. <laughs> uh, what probably made it worse was all the the moments that we had with him coming through yeah. the UC team, getting yeah. punched against Blues and scoring the winner, scoring his his back post as a header against Blues at Villa Park, and you know all those sorts of things that were. Yeah, it was it was like losing a limb really. Whereas now, I think mm. yes, there's the trust in the um, in in the management setup of the club, but also for me, I, I think to get an attachment like that with a player, you know, that was you know, yes, he, he's not perhaps reached the, the heights individually at Manchester City that. Perhaps most of us thought he might have done. But you know, in terms of coming through the youth team, a generational talent. There's no two mm-hmm. ways about it. Mm-hmm. And a villa fantaboot. He's not a generational talent that we've bought from you know, Sparta Rotterdam when he was fifteen or something. You know, he was mm-hmm. genuinely a villa supporter all his life. So it naturally made it a bit different.
2: I think I think you're right about Grealish. It, it, it was there's a picture of me on the day that the uh, bid from Man City came in, holding a red wine and a beer t- at the same time, staring into the distance. Um, it was, I was absolutely devastated. It was, I loved him like a son. You know, I'm from Solihull as well, and same sort of very similar background, very same schooling, really. As So it was almost like somebody. It's like somebody had written a Hollywood script. Of how i could dream my life and it was like jack Grealish was actually living it right to the point where you get punched by a blues fan and then score the winner in front of the villa fans at st andrews it was like this cannot get any better and then the yeah. the the equal the goal against west ham on the final day you know to keep us up and i don't think i've ever gone more insane a goal in my life and so just the magic of the player like he, he had such magic which you just don't see at city anymore with him um mm. it, it was it was big to lose that and uh I think as time goes by, you know, times are healing and all that, I think one day I'll come back in a you know fan capacity or whatever, and we'll all be like, oh, it's great to see Grealish again, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it probably thinking about it, and I hate to think about it in like a really boring financial sense, but FFE wise, it was probably really good to get 100 million quid from a academy player. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, yeah, use that to reinvest. And as you say, you know, it's almost like... It got to the point where he'd, he'd had to move on, really, I guess, to yeah. fulfil whatever ambitions he had, but we just were yeah. never going to be able to do at least for another few years. Um, so, yeah, fair enough. The
0: next one kind of actually ties in nicely with the, the Jack Guerrillas being sold on from before. Uh, they say, there is too much emotional attachment to players. There are several members of the squad who are excellent but are seen as irreplaceable. I think Emery and Monchi could cause some upset in the near future as they look to upgrade and bring down the squad's average age. Mings, McGinn, Buendia, Ramsey, Bailey, Watkins, maybe even Kamara and louise all absolutely fabulous players for us, but realistically, hardly at a consistent title-challenging level, and in most cases, lack of time to grow to that level. I love the squad and our team, but I can see there being a lot of heartache in the near future.
2: Mm, Hmm, I sort of need to consider and ponder that for a while. That's a very interesting uh, confession. Uh, uh, As good as Usher's Confessions, a great tune from many years ago. Um, There is a bit of an emotional attachment to some of these players, possibly more so than we've had in the past, just because of the sense that you've got players like McGinn and Mings who have sort of guided us up from the championship or helped guide us up from the championship, Mm -hmm. been there through some dark times and some, you know, help fight to keep us up. So they're a permanent reminder of, you know, the fallen giants getting back onto their feet. Um, I I don't think McGinn's going anywhere for a long time. Um, I think he's here to stay. uh, And I think he's good enough to stay. And I think he's good enough to get us into Champions League. I think he's a brilliant football player. Um, The type of player who I think Alex Ferguson would have signed for Man United back in the day. Exactly that profile player. Um, But uh, yeah, Mings, you know, with the injury... Um, that will be interesting to see how that develops. We all really hope he comes back and, you know, can get back to playing again. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that one develops. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a player that's a bit like a Grealish, you know, where he went and it felt like your heart had been torn out, or it did for me at least. Um, but for I don't think there's any players there that I'd be massively emotionally attached to where I'd think, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm going to need to take a week's holiday here to get over it. I, I think if, if, if we lost a player like Emi Martinez, I am emotionally attached to him because I think he's a great player and I, I, I just love the man, but um, I'd, I'd be gutted to lose him in the sense that he's of the player he is and it'd mm. be to replace him. But there's no one emotionally that I'd feel, uh, you know, I can't lose this guy. Cause I do think with Monchi and Emery that I'd be quite actually excited to see what they might do to then replace that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'd perhaps go the other way with that um, a little bit in, there wouldn't be the raw emotional attachment that I had with when Jack left. But I definitely think I like a lot of the current squad, not just because they're doing good things for us, but they seem to be fully bought into our football club. And people like Mm, Ian and and Martinez joined us when we weren't on top, even Dougie, you know, Mm. even Kamara, you know, you can say with all of them, you know, we we weren't really on top and they've committed themselves to it when some of them were outperforming the club, to be honest, yeah. and could have could have bailed out, and we've seen so many players over the last ten or fifteen years that just did not—they weren't bought into it. They were—they were just phoning it. In. So, I mm. think from that perspective, I'd I'd feel disappointed. But I'd also like to think that what we're seeing now is the standard of what we're going to get going forward is people that are coming in and are a bang up for it. The mm.
0: thing that kind of throws me a little bit in that was the line. Realistically, hardly any of these are at a consistent title-challenging level, and in most cases lack the time to get to that level. This might make me look stupid here. Obviously, I want Villa to win the league, right? We all do. Winning the Premier League would be madness. I want us to win it year after year, of course. Are we disappointed if that's not the level? I don't know know if I can phrase this in the way without making me look like an idiot, but like, if we're not title-challengers, and we haven't got title-challenger-level players, that we should be upset with that. Because these players are good enough to be... Top four players consistently year after year, I think. Is that not I don't say good enough because obviously you should always aspire to be the best. Is that not good enough? Well, <laughs> I, don't know I if think it makes any
1: sense. Yeah, no, it does. I think as a d- be as a club, with my
0: football club unless they're a title challenger. Like, I still uh, love yeah. the club, still support Just, them if they're a top six club, top four club. Yeah,
1: yeah. and that's that's the sort of spoil rubbish that I'll you know, I would hope we hadn't got to that point already. Part of it comes down to how they gel as a team. It's so much more than just let's get in all these amazing players. I mean, you know, there are some players in that team who are great for us. Yeah. You know, may may not be, you know, as, as much as Matty Cash for me would be the first player I'd replace, but I also don't think he would be as good as he is for us at other clubs. I think you know, this is potentially his, his zenith. Yeah, I don't think I agree. I'm getting pitch invasion off my little boy. Let's
0: uh, move on then past our pitch invader. Uh, no punches were thrown this time. We've <laughs> uh, got a couple left. This one's a short team. one. I don't know why I've included it really. Libor Kozak was a brilliant footballer. Um, big heavy lifting there on the word brilliant in my opinion
2: i'm trying to look at his stats what was he brilliant he was a striker uh i think his highest scoring season uh sparta pride got 14 in 31 but otherwise there's lots of zeros four yeah. zero three four
1: yeah. zero yeah he did well yeah. in the europa league for lazio before we signed him didn't i
2: in fairness i think he got f- he got four in 14 for villa uh and then he got that knee injury. So it's a little yeah. bit of a Wesley-ish scenario where yeah, you're like, What could it be? Yeah, you know, if he hadn't right. if he hadn't had that knee injury, could he have maybe just con- continued to improve? And who knows? But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he was
1: brilliant I was when he made his point. comeback from injury. And uh I was watching a game. I don't even know if it was his first game back, but I was watching a game and there was like a sprint through the middle of the pitch, through the centre circle, and there was him and a defender. And it just got to a point where it was as if somebody had sneakily just put a treadmill under his feet. And <laughs> he was just like, running on the spot, like at the start of Scooby-Doo, and the defender was just going for it. And I was like, oh, this is not going to work out at all.
0: Every so often we'll get a YouTube comment saying, oh, I look like Leibor Kozak, and it's not happened for a while. So this will now probably <laughs> okay. uh, set that be off again got a big nose, haven't I? That's basically it, really. And he
1: was about eight feet tall as well.
0: Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not skinny lanky. I'm not that at all. So I've got a big nose. Probably got similar hairlines, possibly. Um, So that'll probably bring people out of the woodwork again that I look like Leibor Kozak. Uh, I stand by my conviction that Ashley Westwood was a good player in a poor Villa side and in a team of good players he would have shone with his ability.
1: I'd say he was a good player. I'd go as far Mm, as saying he was was a good player. I think when he left the when he left the villa he carried on playing at the level that he was probably at. I think he he was a seven out of ten at everything, I yeah. would say, whether that was pace, defending, picking a pass. Mm. Perhaps wasn't a seven out of ten at scoring goals. Um so yeah, generally he was he was all right. And at his best he might be an eight out of ten on the day and at his worst he might be a four. And typically mm. he was somewhere in between the two. But Yeah, he he was all right. I think he might have shone a bit more in a better team.
0: I've got my own pitching rider now for those that listen, my son has decided to join me while my fiancé has a wee. I've been nap-drapped for a while with him uh, sleeping on her. When Liverpool played Aston Villa under Steven Gerrard away from home, I hated Gerrard so much that I put a bet on Liverpool and wanted them to win so Gerrard would get the sack. I've never (laughs) done that before or since. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely
1: fair enough. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you took on a lot bet against the villa because you wanted the manager to go or anything like that.
2: I couldn't do it. The the, the Fulham game away, you could feel the momentum was building for Gerard to go. And there was a part of me that thought it might just be better if this ends how we think it might end tonight and that he just gets out of the club. And then when he ended 3 0, I was like, I think he's going to be gone tomorrow, but he was gone within an hour, wasn't he? So uh, I've never bet against Villa, but. there have been one or two games. I think O'Leary as well might have annoyed me a fair bit. Um, I think uh, there's been one or two games where I thought, yeah, it might be better for everybody involved if this doesn't quite go how I normally would want it to go. Uh,
1: I've bet against the Villa, but I did it for an ulterior motive because very early on as a as a Villa supporter, I went to see us away at Sheffield United. I was about 15 or something. I got a mate who was a Sheffield United season ticket holder, and I, so I went in, in their home end with him. And I had a bet on, I think I had Matthias Breitkreutz or something to score at any time, and he didn't even play. So I don't know what I was thinking. That day, I put a few bets on, and they were all ridiculous. And that very quickly taught me that anything I bet on was not going to work out. And so I very rarely gamble. When you said the Liverpool thing, I thought this might be the one would be uh, when we beat them 7-2. So at half time in that game, I went on to whichever betting website and put a tenner on uh, Villa to lose. Cause I thought for me, that was insurance that we weren't going to blow it. So it wasn't, I thought we were going to throw it away. It's my track record of gambling <laughs> is so poor. that <laughs> me, that was like guaranteeing that I didn't think we were going to get seven, but that was guaranteeing that that was going to end in a win for us. And it That's obviously funny. worked. <laughs> funny.
0: He can't hear, but it sounds like he's laughing. The final one, incidentally involves children Uh, when villa have a bad result for example man united on boxing day a great recent example i act like an absolute baby and it takes me days to stop sulking really embarrassing to be honest and my wife definitely doesn't deserve it but i cannot help myself i've now got two young kids of my own and need to set an example so any tips or advice greatly appreciated we'll split this into two if you've got any advice to stop behaving like a baby um but how do you feel when villa lose do you have this same kind of The end of the world doom doom and gloom feeling or do you get over it pretty quickly
2: i partly think in my head no one's listening to the podcast this week uh you you do tend to notice more people listen when we win (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) uh, um but uh yeah i i guess uh yeah i i i do take it quite badly like i'll be sat there just sort of glumly in a sort of miserable mood for an hour or so but uh I don't let it call it sort of impact me too much. Um and you know, when we win, uh, which has been quite a lot recently, which is very nice, um, I do get an extra skip in my step. Um and what tends to happen is I'll say to my girlfriend, like, Oh, do you know I think we should go for a drink to celebrate. And then if we lose, I'm like, I think maybe we should go for a drink, just I don't know, just to get over it. So <laughs> either way, it usually involves a drink after. Um uh, drink responsibly. So- also drink responsibly please do <laughs> um particularly when villa win uh i have not always yeah. done that so follow definitely do drink <laughs> responsibly um but yeah i think uh i yeah it when we win it definitely like lifts my whole weekend but uh, when we lose i i think i've got to the point now where i'm able to compartmentalize it and be like right let's just move on watch a film um you know watch a comedy show anything that just makes me laugh whatever to sort of get over the uh, the sort of inner sulk that i actually want to be in this
0: this might be an interesting theory frankie that only really applies to us so rob sit, on, sit this phone out for a second um, do you think and i've only just thought about this do you think that maybe doing the podcast helps when it's a defeat because you kind of bookmark it you kind of go right yeah. i've spoken about it now i've dealt with it i'm done it might be the day of the game or the day after i'm finished with it now i can put it to bed do you think
2: yes i think it absolutely does because you're able to vocalize all these internal sort of emotions and feelings you have and you can vocalize it put it out there and once you're sort of putting all those emotions out into the world and then it's just done really so yeah i think you're absolutely right yeah i think once i've you know moaned about it on the podcast for 20 minutes or whatever and then it suddenly just seems a bit better than after that
0: i'd have sat on things for a bit or maybe got involved in tweets over the course of a few days still going back over it and things like that whereas when we win I just do the podcast, stick it out, promote it, do it two or three times, do little clips and stuff like that, and really kind of go big for it. When we lose, it's like I press upload and almost forget it even existed. And I know people are watching it, but I'm like not bothered if they are or not really. Obviously, I am, but like, I'm not promoting it days after and still, I'll go back and watch it because I, I don't think anyone cares anyway. So for me, it's like, right, I press finish record, I press end stream, whatever. And I can't kind be of right, I've dealt with that now. I've moved on whereas before the podcast I think I probably did sit on things a little bit and fester a little bit after a defeat as I don't, it annoys me and it winds me up and until I get it, almost like until I get it out of my system with the podcast, like if we have to wait till the following day, kind of start to forget about it and I talk about it and bring it all out again and then when I finish it I'm like right it's done now, I forget about it I forget it, that
1: game even happened almost Sometimes life's easier when we're consistently rubbish because <laughs> just become a niece that ties to it a little bit and now it's we're going into games and there's things riding on it. Previously, or at least in, in fairly recent history, when we've gone into games with something riding on it, it's usually been because we're bad and we're fighting relegation. And so it's hugely disappointing to, to get beat and it puts us into further trouble and mm. you're kind of expecting it anyway. Whereas now it's the other way around of, well, we need to win to keep pace at the top of the league. (laughs) So, if we don't, you get the double disappointment of like, not only didn't we win, but we should have because on paper, you know, this lot of rubbish, becoming a parent has helped me not quite have the same extremities of mood swing based on football results. That may change as my little Mm. girl gets more into it um i think certainly the viewing figures of the bbc's highlights program go up and down by one depending on
2: uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: whether what you've won or not so our advice is your yours rob is it's changed since you had a baby but this guy's already got kids so that's out the window so our advice is start a podcast maybe start a, 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 start a bit yeah. of a podcast Have a moan on on, on YouTube or whatever for 20 minutes. And Um, honestly, you'll feel better for it. You'll forget all about it. You can compartmentalise it and go, right, it's done now. I've spoken about it. Let's move on. Let's go and win the next game. Let's call it a day there. It's been a a great recording session with you both. Let me have that off you. Rob, thank you so much for joining me and Frankie. Likewise as well. We're recording this on a Friday night, so thanks for sparing your time. I like doing things like this because it's, one fun to do we enjoy doing things like this but it takes you down so many different avenues and so many different talking points that like we said we started talking about FIFA and Football Manager Saves and then you get it with advice to start a podcast because you hate losing <laughs> it's, it's all over the place <laughs> yeah. and I love that we, so. we
1: missed my confession about how I almost killed Santa Claus at Villa Park but
0: we'll save that for another podcast stay tuned for part three then for confessions I mean we still haven't (laughs) got loads more we could do to be honest so uh, if people want it (laughs) give it another couple of months and we'll do it thank you everyone for watching this one on YouTube or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts we greatly appreciate you tuning into everything we do thanks to you for being pretty well behaved for the last five minutes or so Um, (laughs) and we'll see you all on the next one uh, in a few days